Welcome to Denim Wrapped Nightmares, Tipsy Exchange Podcast, where we explore the Supernatural series episode by episode. Over drinks, we'll discuss the lore, the gore, and what we adore about the Winchesters and their adventures. I'm Burley, and I'm a new fan of the series. I'm LA, and I'm here along for the ride. Now let's get tipsy. Hello, LA. Hello, Burley. Did that sound weird? No, I'm just realized I started recording Hello. and I have no idea what I'm going to say next. Oh, well, you know, who knows? Um, who knows what's going to come out of our mouths? <laughs> <laughs> so last episode, we were in the depths below. Mm, in the deep. In the deep. And this episode, we were high in the sky. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Before we start talking about Phantom Traveler... Let's do a quick recap of where we were last week with yes. Dead in the Water. Well, in Dead in the Water, Sam and Dean were investigating a series of mysterious drownings that were just written off as suicides in this lake. It was a lake, right? It was a lake. Yeah. yeah. Um, they discovered the spirit of a little angry boy. <laughs> little angry boy. Angry little boy. He was so angry. Rightfully so. That had the power to travel travel through water and take revenge on certain people in this town that was like a deep, dark, covered up secret that was buried long ago with him basically with him right yes and then um dean formed a bond with the little kid that was so cute they shared artwork sweet and he seemed to have the power premonition and he kind of put all the pieces together for he he kind of basically solved the case for them i feel like i think too yeah you know and then it ends with you know dean saving him in the end and i actually read somewhere they film in vancouver i think oh yeah so like that water had to have been cold Cold. yeah Yeah. (laughs) damn i hope they had some heaters nearby right yikes do you think they had to take all their clothes off and like Mm. step into like a little sauna or something i in my mind that's what i want jensen ackles had to do that yes yes (laughs) for sure yeah yeah well this week the episode started off, Phantom Traveler, starts off in an airport. We see a man, and he is obviously not okay. Yeah. Like, he's, he's struggling. He's struggling stressing. big time. Stressing. It starts showing, like, this really peaceful, serene ocean yeah. scene. I was like, oh, we're, we're on, like, in an, on an island somewhere. <laughs> I was really excited. And then he pops up out of nowhere and is like, <sighs> like he does this big snort. Like the overhead of the um, airport, airport and everything. Noise. I was like, oh, come on. I totally that thought he had just snorted a line the way he came up, looking all disheveled and everything. I could see that. How right? you yeah. I was yeah. like, what is happening? He ends up going to the bathroom and it's kind of revealed to us that he's a nervous flyer. Like he's terrified to get on this plane and there's another passenger in the airport that i guess was trying to calm him down and make him feel better failure he failed <laughs> i was just what did he say he's like i mean what are the chances like 20 something thousand and one <laughs> like leaves the <laughs> restroom he's like yeah thanks. thanks thanks for that thanks buddy so he's splashing water on his face and this mysterious like smog monster honestly you know what it reminded me of comes out of the vent what I just was like, oh, black mold's coming out Physi- in a physical form. <laughs> That's what it looked like So when I was in college, I had this prank call that I was doing one night because all the dorm rooms oh God, at the college call. had the same 
numbers at the beginning and then just any random numbers at the end would get you somewhere on campus. So I was calling a bunch of people because we had the landlines and not everybody had caller ID and all that. And I would tell them that there was a black mold outbreak and that they needed to clean out their fridge in their dorm room and tell me what was in it. And I remember there was this one girl who at the time I thought she must have been a complete fucking idiot. But looking back on it, I think she was pranking me back because she kept me on the phone for a really long time asking questions about the mold and smells and what should she do and it just got to where it was like it was not even funny anymore. I was like, like, oh my God, I want this to be over. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I miss prank calls. Oh my God. So good. What was What's the movie um, with Adam Sandler where he's, he, he gets cancer and he's dying. Funny people. Funny people. Have you seen that? I don't know. Well, at the beginning, because him and Judd Apatow were roommates in college. Okay. And Judd does that movie. I think he directs it or produces it or something. But anyway, at the beginning, it shows them in college making prank calls. It's Adam Sandler making a bunch of prank calls. And like, I think Linda or Garoppolo. Lisa, Linda, Garoppolo. Mm -hmm. Oh, what is her name? Anyway. Some other people that have like done well and they're stars now or whatever, but they were all there like cracking up and it's funny. It's just kind of funny to see them young and doing that shit. You know? <laughs> I did not have video evidence of me doing this. Oh, we, got off, we got off track in record time for this Sorry. episode. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he's in the bathroom, this black smog, mold, mold, whatever you want to call it, comes drifting out of the vent and he sees it in the mirror and he's just like, oh, and he turns around and it like goes in through his eye, I think it was. Yeah. Like goes into him. And basically he's now possessed. His yeah, eyes are black. black. Demon yeah. Eyes. yeah. So he goes and gets on the plane. And as he's getting on, a flight attendant notices he's got black eyes. She like That's tells creepy. him, Hey, oh, your seat, it's that way. Where she's like at the front of the plane, <laughs> which I thought was kind of odd. Yeah. Did you think they were going to turn the other way into the cockpit? <laughs> but anyway, so he turns around and is like, oh, thank you. And like has these black eyes. Yeah. So she sees it and is like, oh, then he goes and sits down. So then once they're up in the air, he gets up after a little bit and he walks toward the back of the plane and goes to this emergency exit. And there's this guy who's sitting in his seat looking back at him like, what the fuck are you doing? And he like looks over his shoulder. So the guy sees his black demon eyes. He kind of smiles before he opens the emergency exit and gets sucked, sucked out. out of the plane. And the plane ends up getting totally fucked from this. And they end did, up crashing. Did you see like when the air masks go down and that guy that had seen him, he was like, <laughs> his <laughs> eyes were huge, like sucking that oxygen. I would have been freaking out. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen the picture? I th- I don't think it was an actual picture. I think it's like an art artist's rendition, actually, of that one co-pilot that their window on the front of the plane, whoever installed it, used the wrong size bolts. And so when they were up in the air, the window actually popped off and the co-pilot had unbuckled and was getting up to go to the bathroom or something. And he got sucked out of the plane. And some other guy had walked in like right as it happened and grabbed (gasps) the guy's arms and held on to him for 15 minutes. Wow. While the other pilot made an emergency landing to get down. Holy shit. I've never heard that. They both survived. Both of them got really bad frostbite. 
And the guy oh, who got yeah. sucked out of the plane, I think he had some fractures and maybe some broken bones, but they both lived. Wow. That's a that's an incredible story. So crazy. I'm going to have to look that up. I can't remember what it was like, oh what God. the flight was or when it happened. What a fucking hero. I can't imagine being that quick. Right? Like, I just imagine I would have been so shocked and terrified that what I was seeing that I would have frozen. That guy who jumped into action and grabbed that guy. Not like, this guy. I make wow. really poor decisions when I'm jacked up adrenaline. <laughs> I just don't think I would have had the coordination to grab him. Like, that's awesome that he grabbed him. It, was he him. like, was it just like a passenger or what? Let's see if I can find it. Or like maybe ex-military? No, it was, it was somebody. They were in the cockpit. So, so okay. Okay, let me see here. Like, oh my God, that's pilot. insane. And what was he holding on to to be able to keep him? You know, in the plane. Somebody else came in and was holding him. It was like a human. Holy like, crap. What's the game? The monkey game? What is it? Where you like hook the monkey arms and try to make the longest. What is it? Barrel of monkeys? About. I don't know. Okay. So while an aircraft was flying over, Didcot, Oxshire, Oxfordshire, an improperly installed window screen panel. Okay. I already told her all that. British Airways Flight 5390. This happened in June 1990. Oh, wow. How crazy. Oops, we did it again. <laughs> okay. Okay, so this plane goes down. Yeah. And then we cut to Dean in his bed in mm. the motel. Mm-mm-mm. And the camera did this, like, nice. Ass up. Slow pant. Yeah, he was <laughs> ass up. Totally ass up. The The camera did this nice, like, slow pan up his body from yeah. his feet to his face. We rewound it. We I watched, appreciated it. It was that. so nice. We watched it twice. Yeah. So that happened. Then Sam comes in and wakes him up, startles Dean. And it turns out, you know, Sam hasn't really been sleeping. We kind of find yeah. this out that Sam's not doing so good. He's having nightmares. Dean is kind of worried about him. Dean claims he needs he, to sleep. Yeah. He's like, you need to sleep. And Dean's like, I never get scared. But then he has like this giant. Uh, yeah. It made me think of like crocodile. Did, like, this is a knife. It's huge. <laughs> like when we were watching it, I was like, um, that's a bit much. Like I could understand having like a switchblade that you could pop out or something or pull, you know, under your bed. But a huge, like you could cut yourself on that if you just casually put your hand under the pillow and slice your arm. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> I thought it was just I mean it was great. a nice it, it was, was a beautiful nice knife. knife it yeah. was yeah it was really nice it was impressive so while they're talking and chatting uh Dean's cell phone rings and it's this guy who had known his dad from this past like poltergeist they kind of talk about it a little bit when they meet up kind of thing so Dean is like yeah we'll come help you so Sam and Dean go meet him and they're in like an aircraft carrier or maybe it's like where like they a get, hanger. Yeah, a hanger. I don't know. They don't really explain where they are. But the guy basically tells them about the plane and how something doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Once they get to his office, he plays for them this, I guess it's like the black box or something, yeah. like yeah. a message from the plane at the time of the crash. And there's some weird noises that don't sound normal. So Dean and Sam were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to look into it. They asked for a copy of the recording. And of course, Sam ends up finding another EVP that says no survivors. No. 
survive. No. <laughs> but they're like, what the fuck? That doesn't make sense. There were seven survivors. So what's this about? Gotta go find them. Before they find the EVP, the friend, the dad friend, I don't remember his name. I didn't take a note. The oh. airplane guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, yes, I'll send you the flight records. I'll send you the passenger records. I'll send you the recording. And they were like, can we see the wreckage? He said, I can't help you with that. So Dean went to Quick Copy or Mm. whatever, went to the copy shop and somehow drafted up some believable Homeland Security identification. Okay, so I hear me out. Like, I get how he could, like, do the identification card or whatever. Where does he get these badges? Because he flashed a whole... They had badges when they flashed him at the guy. He's Dean Winchester. I mean... He can do anything. He's thrifty. He's real thrifty. He's got all kinds of identifications and different badges. Just, he just pops out of nowhere. Just ready to go. This I mean, is his life. It's the family business. Uh, yeah. It's the family business. Daddy taught him well, I guess. Mm, Daddy. Where's he at? When's he coming back? We'll, we'll get to him. Mm. We'll find him. After they make their badges, Sam is like, well... We have to go get some suits as well. We gotta look like we gotta look the part. Yeah. So then they go get some suits, which is nice. Yeah. It surprises me that they don't try to look the part more often. They're always just in their like shirts, civilian clothes. Yeah. So they go get suits. They look like some nice little men in black. Mm -hmm. I think. I think one of them makes a joke that they look like the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Sam needed to have fixed his hair though. If they were gonna, if they were gonna look the part, believable. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so young. Like they are. Anyway. They got better with age. Oh, for sure. Like I'm getting. I wish I could say that about me. I like. I'm like. I want to skip ahead ten years. Get to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So before they get the suits, actually, I skipped a section. They go to a psychiatric hospital and visit one of the survivors, and it's the guy that we were talking about who saw the door fly open and saw the black eyes. Yeah. And, all of that. So he tells them what he saw and he's convinced he's crazy and all of that. But Sam and Dean get the information out of him that they need. Then they also visit the widow of the guy who got possessed by the black mold. And she's telling them about her husband and he's just a normal guy. Cause at first they're thinking that this is some sort of supernatural being that it's not a human So now she's telling them about him and they're like, okay, so it's definitely a human, but how did he have the strength to open that door while the plane was in flight? Because I think they said it was like two tons of pressure or something like that, that a human would not have been able to do that. Mm. And that's when they start thinking, okay, maybe he was possessed by something. So they kind of start putting things together. It's an innocent old dentist. Poor guy. With acid reflux. I remember them saying yeah, that. Was that. Odd. <laughs> so after that is when they go check out the wreckage. So they've got their suits on. They've got their cool new badges. They go check out the wreckage. And they actually find sulfur on the emergency exit door, mm-hmm. which apparently is also a sign of demonic possession. I learned that from the wonderful movie Constantine. I think they're doing a sequel to that finally. And I'm so excited. And I like, I really, really loved that movie. So I, when I heard that he, it was one of his favorites and he would love to do the role again. I was so excited. And now that it's going to happen, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I am very excited. I'm excited too. I hope they bring back the guy who played Satan. Oh my God. Peter Stormare. I loved so his good. performance. It was so brief. Yeah. But so memorable. I wonder if they're friends. Cause he was in um, John Wick too. 
I think the first huh. one. I don't know. Yeah. But I love, I like Peter Stormare. He always plays like an oddball. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so while they're doing all this, we kind of get a flash to another one of the survivors from the plane. His name's Chuck, and he was actually the plane's pilot. Yes. And he's kind of he's stressed traumatized. Yeah. Like he's stressing big time and he's with a friend and the friend is trying to get him to just let's just go take a flight together, just the two of us, you know, get your what, I, what I he say, like sealant. riding a bicycle. Yeah, it's like yeah. riding a bicycle, calm down, and like he's obviously stressing about mm. it. Like who wouldn't be yeah. whenever you were in something like that? And so as he's sitting there stressing, the friend is like, okay, it's all gassed up. I'm going to go. He's going to go do something. And so the pilot is sitting there on the couch and then the black mold comes coming out of the vent again and it comes over and it goes into the pilot's eyes Mm -hmm. and he goes outside and where he was obviously like traumatized and stressing inside. Now he goes outside and he's like, yeah, let's go. And he's like all excited. Why did the friend not go, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I would have been like, just a minute ago, you were like about to have a panic attack, and now you're excited to go? Like, what happened? What's happening? Yeah. This is weird. Mm-hmm. But apparently that did not raise any red flags for the friend. So they get into the plane, and they're flying up above, and like, obviously the friend is making facial expressions as the pilot is talking, like that he knows something's off, he's just not saying anything. And then the pilot is like, how long have we been and the oh, friend I didn't is, even catch that. Yeah, the friend is like 40 minutes. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Knocks out the friend. Clocks him. And his eyes go black as he like pushes the controllers. And obviously he's like nose diving yeah. down. This poor farmer sees them coming and they crash and kills them both. I totally didn't catch that about the time. Well, that's why later in the show, why like everything is so urgent. Right. Because they only had 40 minutes. Yeah. So cut back to the hotel. Sam and Dean are looking up demons, possession, all kinds of things on their laptop. They're trying to figure out, you know, what is going on here. And Sam finds Japanese item that states that disasters are caused by certain demons. So a disaster demon, so to speak, or chaos demon or whatever you want to call them. And Dean says that it's something bigger than usual. And it's kind of like, I wish dad was here. And then his phone rings and it's the airplane guy who called them originally. His name's Jerry and he's got more bad news and he tells them what happened to Chuck. So Dean and Sam go and check out like news sites and stuff that talk about where Chuck crashed. And that's where they kind of go and visit, which was in, I wrote this down, hang on, which was in Nazareth. Right. So that has some biblical relevance. And mm-hmm. so they were kind of making jokes about like, oh, yeah, we're going to go check out the demon in Nazareth kind of thing. Oh, and the 40, the 40 minutes. Right. Biblical 40 means death. Great. Great. So happy good, to be middle aged and yeah. find out that 40 means death. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. So they're connecting all these points now. We've yeah. got the 40 minutes. We've got sulfur on both crashes. And again, they're talking about the no survivors, the demons finishing the job. So they put everything together kind of from that. So then they check on all the other survivors and they basically clear everybody except for one. And that was the flight attendant. They call her a stewardess on the show quite a bit. It's outdated. We'll update it. 
flight attendant, Amanda Walker. So the girl who was directing everybody to their seats (laughs) and saw the demon's eyes as well. They find out from her sister that she has gone back to work and she's about to get on a plane. Right. So they hurry to the airport and Dean gets on this like emergency phone thing. I've never seen these in the airports before and pages her with an emergency. He says it's an emergency. He has to talk to her. And so she gets on the phone and they claim that her sister has been in an accident and that she needs <laughs> to come to a hospital. And she's like, um, fuck you. I literally just got off the phone with my sister. She's sitting at home studying. Who is this? And somehow she comes to the conclusion that it's like an ex-boyfriend's friend trying to get her attention or something. And so Dean just kind of plays along. And what I loved about this scene was Sam, like trying to get in Dean's face. He's like, yeah, almost. he's like trying to listen. Like what's, ha- what's trying happening? Trying to eavesdrop on what's happening. Yeah. It was so cute. And I don't know if the director told them to do that or if it was a decision on Jared Padalecki's part, but it was, it was just perfect. It was such a brother thing to do. Yeah. A little As, brother. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It was, it happened pretty quickly, but I absolutely adored that. It was so cute. I also liked in the scene where he was like, oh, yeah, the man's, he's pretty broken up. I mean, he's pretty pathetic. And she's like, really? Oh. Like that, like that made her happy that he was pathetic <laughs> about her. So after they talk to her, she's basically like, I'll talk to the boyfriend whenever I get back and hangs up. Mm-hmm. So now they're like, fuck, what do we do now? And Sam says, we're going to have to get tickets and go get on the flight. We don't have any other choice. Obviously. It's the only way that we're going to be able to stop it. And then we find out Dean is terrified of flying. Dean's got a little problem. And I think it's so funny because when we started out the episode, Dean was Mr. I'm not afraid of anything. Right. And now we're in the airport and he is clearly terrified. terrified. (laughs) So I thought that was a really cute parallel of no, not being afraid of anything like demons, ghosts, whatever. None of that shit scares me, but an airplane. And he is so scared like honestly contemplating letting these people die because he doesn't right. want to get on a plane. <laughs> but Sam's a good little brother takes care of Yes, him. he is. He even offers to go and do it himself, but yeah. Dean is not no. going to let him do that. So they buy two tickets and they go get on the plane. When I was in high school and we went on our senior trip to, it wasn't Cabo. Where did we go? Can't remember. Somewhere in Mexico. But um, our friend Karina was terrified of flying. She had never flown before. And I had flown quite a few times since then. And so I was an asshole. I was not like Sam. I was an asshole. And I was like, turbulence. There's going to be, t-. like, we're taking <laughs> off. I was like, oh, my God, this isn't normal. I was, like, trying to scare You're her. terrible. I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole. <laughs> but it was just, I mean, she knew I was joking with her. But at the same time, like, looking back, like, I was an asshole. I should have been. I should have been more like Sam and been a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Well, once they're on the plane, Sam is being a very supportive brother. He's trying to help keep Dean calm. And he kind of reminds him that we only have 40 minutes. Right. You you know, the plane's going to go down when we're 40 minutes in the air. So we've got to figure out who's possessed. Well, yeah, I think he said at that point they were already at 32 minutes. Yeah, they were on a time crunch, big time. And Sam also mentioned uh, about how he was scared and vulnerable that the demon could take him. Yeah, so he was like, you have to calm down yeah. because that's going to make you vulnerable to possession if you're freaking out. So, Which makes so much sense from the original guy, the pilot. Right, because we find out pretty early on that the stewardess, I just did it, the flight attendant, 
was not the one who was possessed. Oh my which God. Were, there was this hilarious little incident where, you know, <laughs> Sam is like, okay. You know, first, Dean is like, we have holy water. I'll go spray her with holy water. And Sam's like, no, we can be a little more subtle than that. Just the name of God should make the demon flinch. Yeah, flinch. Be sure you say it in Latin. And so Dean goes to the back and he's flirting with the flight attendant a little bit. And then he just randomly says it. Like, you would think Dean, like, being smooth as he is most of the time, that he could, like, work that into a sentence and conversation. But no. No. He he just waits until there's a pause and it's just like, (laughs) Christo. (laughs) It's just, like, throws it out there. And she's like, like, huh? What? So he says it again. And she's like, what? And he just awkwardly, like, leaves. (laughs) It's always with it, like, Christo? Like with a question mark, yeah. Like, yeah. It's he, so awkward. He just awkwardly like sidesteps out of the way <laughs> and just goes back to the seat and is like, "Okay, so it's not her." <laughs> so then they get their little EMF detectors or whatever it is that they have out, and they're walking up and down the aisle, and people are looking at them like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Rightfully so, because they're trying to figure out who's possessed. So they get up toward the cockpit. Dean's little tool starts going off in his hand. And one of the co-pilots is like coming out of the bathroom or something. And so Dean looks up and he says, Christo. And the Dean, the the guy obviously shivers Mm. and looks over his shoulder and has black eyes and then goes into the cockpit. So Dean's like, fuck, it's the co-pilot. So then they recruit the flight attendant to help them (laughs) in a very dramatic little scene and get her to go get the co-pilot. So they're spraying him with holy water. He's and burning. Sam is doing uh, an exorcism of sorts. And we found out earlier that there's two parts to the exorcism. The first part is to get the disaster demon out of the pilot. But then they become even more powerful and are able to cause destruction and chaos on their own. And once it's out of the pilot, there's a second part that will get rid of them completely. They finally get through that after quite a bit of a tussle. Yeah. They get it out and then the plane starts nosediving down and Sam had dropped their dad's journal at this point. So there's this very tense moment where Sam's trying to find the journal and having to reach under people's feet. Of course he gets it and says the rest of the exorcism just in time for the plane to pull up and land safely and everyone survives. And they even show the co-pilot talking to people about how he doesn't even remember getting on the plane, that he has no memory of anything. So even he survived. So after all of this, they go talk to Jerry, and he's, like, thanking them for everything they've done. And Dean is like, how'd you get my number, by the way? I just got this phone. I haven't had it very long. And Jerry tells them that their dad's voicemail is telling people if it's an emergency, call Dean and leaving Dean's phone number. Which I would be so pissed if I'm looking for my dad. I've been calling you, been texting you. You can't reply, but you can update your outgoing voicemail message to include my new phone number that you obviously have gotten in my missed calls and text messages. They were kind of shocked and they call their dad's phone to check and see if it's true. And they hear their dad doing that, leaving that the outgoing message has been changed. It's their dad's voice saying if this is an emergency call Dean, they're kind of like, what the fuck? Why mm-hmm. hasn't he contacted us? And they drive off in the old Impala mm. as the screen fades to black. <laughs> that was Phantom Traveler. Yes. 
Not a lot of gore in this episode. No. There wasn't any gore at all, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, the goriest thing that happened was when the pilot was getting sprayed with holy water. Yeah. There was some burning, uh, some burning, burning, some sizzling yeah. stuff going on. And, you know, again, Adore, I, I like what this episode did for developing the brother relationship. Mm-hmm. And that slow pan up Dean's body at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. was real mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. 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 But so that's the Adore and the gore, let's get into the lore. L.A., what you got for me? Well, I mean, I we just have a couple of mysterious flight crashes. Right, because obviously we can't find any real disaster demons Chaos stories. Demons. Chaos I mean, demons there probably or what is one. I don't there know. might be. There might be. So the first one was in 1996. July 17th, 1996. Minutes after it took off from New York's Kennedy International Airport, a Boeing 747 was headed to Paris, and it exploded, I think, 12 minutes after takeoff. Exploded? Mm-hmm. Yikes. The flight departed at 8.19 p.m. in muggy, but, like, pretty fairly good weather, and it blew apart in a fiery explosion 12 minutes later. Among the dead were... 18 crew members, 212 passengers, including 16 students and five chaperones from Pennsylvania's Montoursville area high school's French club. Holy shit. Yeah. After this happened, it took, it was a four year end of investigation into what happened. Four years. So it's, it's like that scene where they were in the hangar and all the pieces of the plane were there. Right. They did the same thing. And, but it took them four years to go through all of that and figure out what happened. What happened? Well, there's theories and stuff. A lot of witnesses say that the crash, um, they reported seeing an explosion in the night sky, followed by the shower of flaming debris. But some of them said that there was a missile that was headed toward the plane right before it exploded. So what? they were thinking like terrorist attack, you know. But, of course, this four-year investigation said, no, that's not what happened, allegedly. Mm-hmm. The source that led to the explosion was never actually discovered, but the investigation concluded that the crash's cause was not a terrorist attack, like some witnesses say, but an electrical failure that ignited a nearly empty central wing fuel tank. It was a 25-year-old aircraft. This event, it's one of the deadliest plane crashes in our U.S. history. But yeah, so they think it's that something ignited in this wing's fuel tank, and that's what started it. Unexplained crashes. I know there's a lot of famous disappearing planes. Yeah. We yeah. talked about some of those before. Triangle. Yeah. I mean, the good thing, I mean, sounds bad saying, but the investigation of this aircraft was like a big moment in aviation history. And it's from this investigation that really kind of fundamentally changed the way aircrafts are designed now from just learning of how this crash happened and everything and what they found in the wreckage. Which, to me, it seems like it's a little weird that it took four years. Yeah, if it was just an electrical thing, why did it take four years yeah, to track it? Yeah, so this guy says that it, it was due to a couple different factors. He says, first, the time it took to isolate the circumstances that caused a very rare event, the central fuel tank explosion, had, uh, which he had, had never occurred with a 747 before this. Plus, they applied extra diligence to accommodate a huge amount of pressure applied from many quarters to make absolutely sure that this was not a result of a terrorist operation or an errant missile fired by our or someone else's nation or some else's some. You try that again or some other nation's military, because a lot of people were like, was it friendly fire? Like thought that like maybe it was one of ours. 
that had set it off. On accident or something. Yeah, yeah. But now that, like, 25 years later, since that crash, it's been the safest years in commercial aviation history since that crash. Which I find odd because I feel like I've heard quite a few plane crashes in the last few years. But I guess they weren't U.S. ones. I don't know. Yeah. I don't track that kind of stuff. I don't either. I've only heard about that guy getting sucked out of the plane. Oh, that's so crazy. All of these things, if disaster demons were real, I could see them doing stuff like this. Yeah. But anyway, so that's kind of the gist of that flight and what happened and the invest the four fucking year investigation. And then the other one was, um, which I think I want to say that this was like a revenge plane killing. Oh. And I feel like there was another one in the last like <gasps> few years. I feel like that something similar happened. But this was in 1999, Egypt Air, which, see, not American. Not our U.S. history was safest since the 25 years. <laughs> anyway, this one crashed off New England in 1999 and killed 217 people, but it was a deliberate crash and an act of revenge. This guy, I'm probably going to say this wrong, Gamil L. Batauti, Batauti had been reprimanded for sexual misconduct, and the executive who told him that he wouldn't, like after all this happened and these allegations that he wasn't going to be allowed to fly U.S. routes again, which basically like they make more money when it's like overseas flights, I guess. Okay. So if it's just international, you don't make as much. But so he's not allowed to do any more flights to the U.S. We're going to keep that sexual misconduct local. Right. Well, and it's like, why just to the U.S.? Right. So anyway, this guy that reprimanded him is on board this flight, which why would you get on a flight with a guy that you like? Well, I wouldn't assume that they were going to crash the plane. I mean, still, if he, I mean, I would like something was idea. wrong with that person. That oh, they thought sure. that was the next logical action to take. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was basically um, there were allegations of sexual misconduct, exposing himself to teenage girls, and propositioning hotel maids. The fuck and stalking a female hotel, stalking female hotel guests. So all of this, like while he's so straight up predator. Yeah. Again, which I guess I'm assuming he did all in like uniform and whatnot, because otherwise, I don't know. I mean, he would have been taken in by the cops rather than being reprimanded, which, well, I don't know what their laws are like, but it's like if he had that going on, you would think he'd have a record and he wouldn't be allowed to fly. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I don't know. So on the flight was uh, his his superior, Hatem Rushdie. And he's chief of Egypt Air's Boeing 767 pilot group. So after Rushdie got on the flight, he told him, this is your last flight. I guess Al Batauti's attitude was that this is your last flight, too. Damn. So he, like, reprimanded him on the flight? Yeah, I guess so. Yikes. Like, before they left, he was just letting him know. Which, again, I wouldn't tell him that until after you arrived. So That makes a little bit more sense to me. Like, I still understand that... It wouldn't have crossed his mind what happened next would be what happened, how this person would retaliate. Mm -hmm. But I would still wait until they're in a position to clock out. Right. Like, you you don't fire a person on Monday and tell them that they work till the end of the week. You wait until the end, like Friday. Yeah. (laughs) Like, come on. So uh, one of the members of the U.S. teams just said that it was more revenge against Rushdie than it was a suicide, which, I mean, he was... Yes. Had to have been an irrational yeah. also. Like, that's not a logical thing to do. Mm-mm. 
The black box recordings indicated that Rushdie had left his first class seat and entered the cockpit. But as soon as he left, Al Batuti, who was supposed to fly the second five-hour section of this flight, he came into the cockpit, ordered the younger first officer out of his chair, and just simply said, I rely on God. Switched off the autopilot and pushed the plane into a dive. <gasps> yeah. So Captain Ahmed El Habashi, who had been out of the cockpit, managed to struggle back in and shouted at him, like, what's happening? What's, what's, what are you doing? What's happening? All but El Batauti said, I rely on God. So he was he was having an episode or just he was right. That's not mentally out sound. Of yeah. Behavior. And um, so Habashi was shouted, what is this? Did you shut the engines? He tried to grab the controls and started pulling up. He was sh- shouting at him to help him pull up, pull up, pull up. But no, they were already in a nosedive. And um, he did manage to get it back up to 24,000 feet. But then they lost all power and like the plane just started breaking up from the stress. Why'd they lose power? I That's guess just crazy. from like doing a nosedive and then going Pulling right back up. up. Like, it, oh my god! I don't know. He said that he thinks that he had that Albatauti had been looking at the door, looking at the moment when, like, the moment Rushdie was out of the cockpit. Like, this was the most suitable moment for him to fulfill like his vendetta against him. The U.S. Heavily criticized Cairo for exploring the possibility that Al Batauti had deliberately crashed the plane. I don't know why, but a top Egyptian investigator said that his country would reject any suggestion that Al Batauti was to blame. And that's like where this article ends, which I think is so strange. Like, clearly, like, black box recordings, like, he was doing it on purpose. Right. You know? So, I don't know. Hmm. It's weird. Not rational behavior. Yeah, that's all. That's what I got for some crazy crashes. Weird, random plane if crashes. They had happened in the world of supernatural. Yeah, maybe, maybe the demon got into uh, El Butauti. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It sounds like he had some demons before yeah, that flight. True. 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 He already had some demons right. he was working through. Woo. Well, and I just wonder that other one that if that's really true about it, the fuel, the tank electrical, and, yeah. and all that fuel tank in the wing. I mean, considering that they ended up making changes to actual designs for planes after that makes me inclined to think that it would be true. Yeah. It just seems odd that it took four years to come to that conclusion. And the fact that there were people who said they saw a missile, but then you also said that there was debris, Mm -hmm. fiery debris. So maybe they saw something break off before everything else that they thought was that. I don't know. It's crazy. It's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that. Huh. That is that. The most mysterious plane incidents are disappearances, which I think are even weirder. Yeah. Where they just vanish and they don't know where they are. That's fucking weird. Mm -hmm. Even whenever it's overseas, like I understand that we don't even know what's in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So I get it, but it's just. What? Like there's no debris, like nothing. Nothing. Like they can't find a thing. You don't have any sort of like tracker. Mm-hmm. Like I can find or my the black phone, box. Yeah, yeah. But you can't find the plane. Right. What is that about? I don't know. Ugh. All right. So favorite quote from the episode to close it out. Yes. We were talking about baby brother Sam being a good baby brother and trying to keep Dean calm. They're sitting in the plane and it first shows them and Dean is humming a song. And so Sam looks at Dean and says, Are you humming Metallica? And Dean says, it calms me down. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to Denim Wrapped Nightmares. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram, leave a review, and let us know how we can get involved in the fandom. This was fun. Jerk. It always is, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>